There'll be spectacle, there'll be fantasy, there'll be daring do and stuff like you would never see. Yeah, we're gonna be a movie starring everybody and me. There'll be heroes bold, there'll be comedy, and a lot of fuss that ends for us real happily. We can watch it all develop starring everybody and me. We'll take the world and set it on its ear. Come on, join in. We're gonna start right here. And we are going to start right here. Hello, you are listening to a Rattledge and Broadcasting premiere podcast triple feature. Tonight on the marquee is House of Gucci, currently still in theaters. Spencer, currently available through Digital Rental. And The Eyes of Tammy Faye, which I think is still available as a digital rental. I'm not quite sure. I looked it up this morning and it was streaming someplace I'd never heard of. So let's just go with Digital Rental. These are three awards-nominated, possibly Oscar contender features that center around a prominent real-life woman, uh, the actual Gucci family, Princess Diana of Wales, and Tammy and uh, Jim Baker, in that order. Joining me tonight is the person who was like, hey, why don't we talk about Oscar films? And we all went, Oscar films? Ah! (laughs) A year later, now I'm the one going, can't we talk about anything other than Marvel and Star Wars? Ladies and gentlemen, the woman who started a Rattledge and Broadcasting Revolution, Alexis Haina. How do you do, madam? Doing well. Glad to be here. Yeah. But I'm always working on how I say things, and I might not have it right. <laughs> well, at least we're cutting to the punch early this morning. Yep. Yeah. No, this came up last year when we realized during the Oscar season that we had literally nothing uh, that we could share to follow into what was trending because nothing that we had reviewed had come up i think like maybe there was one or two of the moves we reviewed that it, it got like some Mul- special it was maybe like Mulan, a couple- and a bunch of cartoons yeah and there was like maybe a couple of uh special effects nominees that yeah. we had uh covered but for the most part it's just like well why aren't we talking about these movies so we can ride the trends and that was how we got to what was the movie Judas we- and the black messiah thank you very much which was a very good movie a little insanely depressing but a very good movie so now we're reviewing three Oscar Bay films, which have gotten three Golden Globe nominees each, at least. You're not nominated for a Golden Globe. Sorry, you're not that good of an actress. <laughs> but I think we can agree sitting through these that it's like, wow, for Oscar Bait, they really did not put enough into actually making these quality pictures. The trend with all three of these, aside from you know three prominent leading ladies, three... By, uh, biopics and all of that is that the perform in all three of them the performances are good. Um, <clears throat> Kristen Stewart as Princess Diana, uh, Jessica Chastain as T- uh, Tammy Faye Baker, and Lady Gaga as uh, oh gosh, what Patricia is um, R- Reggiani. Yeah, yeah, Patricia Reggiani. They are all three outstanding, and and I can see any of them getting a- an a- an Oscar for. Um, best female performance or however it's worded um but they also have the opposite trend of not great scripts i think the best one of these and, and we'll get into each one in kind we talked about this briefly last night is the eyes of tammy Faye. um spencer is just bizarre like i i <laughs> i I've, I've sat through every season of the crown so far um i've watched uh, a couple of other things that deal with lady diana's life and this one like <laughs> I know I've been on this this kick of why can't we talk about more art house stuff? The the danger of talking about with art house things is sometimes they're a little too artsy. Holy cow! Yeah, watching Spencer right away just from the music that they chose, I was sitting there going, mm-hmm. "Wait, is this actually like a psychological thriller?" And I just totally misread the trailer. Yeah, it's, it's it is supposed to be a psychological thriller, but you know, look, they're those are not all created equal in the eyes of God. Mike, <laughs> this is such a bizarre picture. And then House of Gucci, I've seen a lot of biopics in my time. I, you know, um, I keep thinking about, I don't know if you've, uh, if you've ever watched the American Crime Story show. The first season was on the OJ trial. Second season, that's why I'm bringing it up, is on the assassination of uh, Johnny Versace. And I was like, oh, that, you know, the, the Versace one was a really, really good story. It was, it was interesting. They did a good job with it. And I think Ridley Scott, and we can transition into House of Gucci now, I think Ridley Scott was trying to go for that soapy, melodramatic, 
biopic about these, you know, classy, flashy designers. And I'll tell you, my wife and I saw House of Gucci opening weekend and we were both like, so are we just not supposed to like any of these people and, and be glad, be glad they're gone or in prison or whatever? Like, what is the point of all of this? So I need to go ahead and explain this to the audience. I went to go see House of Gucci last night. Mm -hmm. um, I hadn't had a chance to see beforehand. And then when the reviews started coming in, it really dropped low on my, I need to see this radar. <laughs> um, well, uh, I'm, I'm here in Kansas City. And for those who haven't seen the weather reports, Midwest has been getting some really bizarre weather for December. Like, I don't know, Mother Nature apparently decided to take April and drop it here before Christmas. <laughs> so we had horrible storms last night. Uh, I, I sent a picture of the radar to Mark. It was like, if I die or get swept to Oz, it's on you. <laughs> and middle of the movie, the theater lost power. This has never happened that I've ever experienced. Uh, it was right in the middle of a scene between uh, Jeremy Irons and Jared Leto. And yeah, just all of a sudden, black. To which I actually looked up and said, well, I don't think anything is redeeming this movie so far, but maybe someone should go get a manager. <laughs> uh, had to wait half an hour, nothing. They gave me a free pass. I went home, I called Mark. I'm like, shoo, how do you want to do this? We're going to do it this way. We're going to talk about the movie and you can speak. I mean, by half halfway through, you get enough of an impression of the performances and then the rest is just, you know, how does the plot unveil itself? The inter the most interesting thing about this movie to me is, so there's a lot of fighting between the Gucci family, uh, Ridley Scott, uh, and the guy that wrote the book that this is based on, that it's, a lot is lost in translation. It's really funny. So somebody wrote a book about the Gucci family. Ridley Scott adapted that book into this biopic. And the people in the Gucci family like, yeah, that book was inaccurate, let alone your movie. And Ridley Scott's like, yeah, are you people murderers and tax evaders? I'm not listening to you. The real <laughs> life. The, fight. the real life Patricia. Um, oh, my God. Reggiani, yeah. who is out of prison. She is still alive. She has mm -hmm. been released from prison. Actually uh, said she was very disappointed that Lady Gaga did not contact her to learn about her role. And Lady Gaga was flat out like, you're a murderer. I am not colluding with you. Well, also the producers told her not to. Well, obviously. Yeah, they were like, just, you know, here's the thing. Um, a director has a vision, typically speaking, for their film. And while certainly nobody would argue with going to the sources, going to the people that were there for inspiration. Nobody says you have to. And I don't necessarily think it's a matter of respect that you do. You are, you are the artist. You are the one putting this feature together. If you want to create a feature where Lady Gaga sprouts wings and flies, I mean, that's what you can do. I Thank don't know how Terry. well it will be. Thank you, Terry Gilliam. <laughs> but my, my point is, like, I, I mean, if somebody would have a movie about the life of Mark Rattledge and like, didn't bother to talk to me, yeah, I'd be pissed too. I, but I can't say that they have to. You know, I, I'm allowed to be pissed and they're allowed to tell me to piss up a rope. And speaking of pissing up ropes, here's how this goes. Um, so, by the way, the book is called The House of Gucci, A Sensational Story of Murder, Madness, Glamour, and Greed by Sarah Gay Forden. Uh, we said this was directed by... Ridley Scott. Uh, it stars Lady Gaga, as we said, as Patrizia Reggiani, Adam Driver, good old Kylo Ren, as Mauricio Gucci, uh, Jared Leto doing some sort of performance art. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I swear to God, by the time Jared Leto gets to his first thing about, I am an artiste. <laughs> That's a dear antler. Thank you. I, I know every. I, I know Jared Leto is his performance is very polarizing. Can I say that I loved it because like I like I like when actors play, and I don't always necessarily need like believable. I need dramatic. And I'm sorry, Jared Leto. I am gonna make a pants, and it's gonna be wonderful. I feel abused. Like the whole movie, he's like that. It's fantastic. I swear that I walked out of that theater feeling like did. Really, Scott, give a <laughs> style of direction to every single actor? You, underact. You, overact. You, chew the scenery. 
you forget you're making a movie I, <laughs> none of these actors roles meshed well none of them had good chemistry together i swear to god adam driver and lady gaga two insanely sexy very talented actors just do not adam like, driver's character at one point in the movie doesn't want to be in the room with lady gaga and i feel like adam driver the actor didn't want to be in the room with lady gaga not to, I'm going to say this. Adam Driver is mm -hmm. 38. Lady Gaga is 35. But mm -hmm. maybe it's the makeup and the clothing and everything. But Lady Gaga as Patricia looks like she's at least 10 years older <laughs> yeah, than Adam like, Driver. Looks like she was his like you know his older aunt or his well, mom or something. The opening scene where she's going to work for her father. I honestly mm -hmm. thought that was like her husband. It was like, oh wait, that's yeah. her dad. She's supposed to be that young. You, you really do not get that. She, Again, Lady Gaga, another respect. You are a great actress, mm. but you do not pull off the young look. I'm sorry. She's 35. She looks like she's 35. Um, this also stars Jeremy Irons doing Italian Alfred. Selma Hayek, who wandered off the set of The Eternals, and they were like, here, sit here and be a gypsy. And Al Pacino. She was the only one I actually was intrigued by. I only got one scene with her before the movie, and it was like, mm -hmm. I actually kind of want to see more of her. She doesn't do much of anything. All right. In 1978, Patrizia Reggiani is a young, attractive Italian woman working as an office manager within her father's small trucking firm. At a party, Patrizia meets Maurizio Gucci, a law student and heir to the 50% interest in the Gucci fashion house through his father, Rodolfo. Patrizia aggressively pursues the awkward, <laughs> awkward Maurizio, charming him into love. Charming. Rodolfo. <laughs> <laughs> that yeah uh as more like three cutscenes, and all of a sudden he says i love her i mean yeah this was actually the i moment mean I it's knew like that i'm not could... gonna do it but it's like more like charming as you pulls down her shirt and says ah eh? charming like... <laughs> i this was the moment i knew that you could lay and blame entirely for this on ridley scott's feet mm -hmm. you have the scene where yeah she basically she follows him and tried mm -hmm. to come across like, oh, it's such a coincidence. We ran into each other again. Right. It's fate. Don't you think we should date? And she writes her phone number on uh, the, um, the the glass wind, whatever the hell, the plastic yeah. thing on, on his bike. Windshield. Windshield. Thank you. And I remember looking and going, what the hell number is that? I can't make it out. And then it cuts and then it cuts back and goes, oh, it's five. I can tell it's five because it's a different number. You can tell <laughs> it's written differently between the shots. Yeah, I. So I didn't know what the story of just like I didn't know what the story of, Ver, of uh, uh, Versace was. I didn't know anything about Gucci. Like I'm like, like I'm like I'm very much like I all I can appreciate fashion when it's put in front of me. Like the, all those years, my wife made me watch Project Runway, but this is not a thing that I follow. Um, and so I am aware of these people. I don't know anything about them. So. I didn't know what the story was. And, you know, from the get-go, uh, Lady Gaga's character is seen, you know, like I'm in agreement with Jeremy Irons' character. Jeremy Irons warns uh, Adam Driver, like, hey, she's just after the money. And I'm like, I'm, and like, you're supposed to feel like somewhat sympathy for Lady Gaga and Adam Driver and you're supposed to root for them in love, except that I'm, in, I'm on Jeremy Irons' side. Like, she's clearly after the money. Adam Driver's a dope in this movie. And again, not, there is no chemistry between him, leading mm -hmm. to the most awkward sex scene since Tommy <laughs> Wiseau's The Room. Just, yeah, what the fuck? So, um, I can just do this off the top of my head. So, you know, Jeremy Irons is like, if you end up staying with her, like, no, the banger and throw her to the side or whatever, but don't don't make a wife out of this lady. And Adam Driver's like, no, I'm a moron. And he was like, you are. So, you you know, he kicks him out of the will temporarily. So he now needs a job, and she, he starts working for Lady Gaga's father's uh, trucking company. And <laughs> there's a scene that's supposed to read as passionate. It, it's more like two dogs chasing each other around an office. Just two big dogs just knocking things over and leaping about. Um, it's not sexy at all. And like, and I know sexy. That was not sexy. That was, that, that, I mean, it's not like awkward, like two little like teenage kids like oh our first kiss and we bump noses no like i said it's like a rhino and a hippo trying try, try, yeah, trying she, to do something she's shaking on the desk <laughs> and i'm just like what 
the hell? <laughs> I'm seriously, the, I'm in the theater going like, oh my God, what, is, I what just am I watching? Imagine, like, what what am I watching? What was the direction in that scene? Listen, I need like angry, passionate sex and neither one of them knew what Ridley Scott was talking about. And after after X amount of takes, they were like, well, we can either do something with this footage or we're going to have to call in a specialist because I don't know what these two are doing. <laughs> Could you imagine like that's the best take they got out of that or, or oh really just didn't care anymore. It was like, whatever, he humps her, let's move on. Um, <laughs> so the next thing that happens. Uh, da -da 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 -da. Um, so they marry. Yes. Okay. So Maurizio chooses Patrizia over his connection to Gucci. Da -da -da -da. Um when Patrizia becomes pregnant, she sees her child as an avenue for familiar re reconciliation. She lets it slip to Maurizio's uncle, Aldo, played by, um, oh, help me. Uh, Al Pacino clearly Al Pacino. forgetting that he is actually a good actor. That she, well, look, this wasn't, you know, Jack and Jill bad. Aldo is delighted by the news and takes a couple under his wing. Aldo introduces Patrizia to his unintelligence on Paolo, played by Jared Leto, who at this point, I just want to see, I don't even, I want to see him do like a John Leguizamo, kind of like one man show, where he just does various characters. Nothing connects them, and there's no there's no central plot. I just want to see him can like go from the Joker to Paolo to whatever he does next. <laughs> he's, he's amazing. Apparently, Paolo's surviving daughter is furious with this movie <laughs> with the, mm -hmm. she said it's like that is not my dad hell's the the, the the lilac suit that he mm -hmm. wore she's like he would never wear that apparently paulo actually was very stylish he's the one who actually designed the uh the double g gucci logo okay so, he so he's is... not the moron he's made out to be in this film mm -mm. okay because they do they paulo's character in this he's made out to be talentless stupid gullible and really over dramatic like we can we can have fun with jared leto's performance and i certainly am but the fact of the matter is jared leto's playing him as a boob like a very like over dramatic boob um exactly i mean if are but, we supposed again it's like are we supposed to see him as the mm -hmm. underappreciated underdog and it doesn't help that we have a scene where he shows his uh sketches to uh rodolfo jeremy irons mm -hmm. who i swear to god when he comes in with the makeup that he's wearing that he has to be helped to his desk so we know he's dying and he's got this these black circles under his eyes that literally look like someone just took eyeshadow and went okay done <laughs> and i remember looking at him going what, what was the makeup note for this what mr burns from the simpsons looks like in real life <laughs> and they put so he <laughs> Tell me I'm wrong. Nope, you're good. And so Paulo shows Rodolfo all these uh, designs for um, mm -hmm. clothing. And we get a very, very brief look at one of them. And all I hear is like, you'll combine pastels with browns. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, actually, you do that in the spring season. It's not that unheard of. Right. Um, but we don't see them. So, again, it's like well are we supposed to sympathize it's like it's kind of hard to sympathize with him as the underappreciated you know artistic underdog right. when we can't even see his work well not only that but you know later on he's gonna have the company taken right out from under him and you as the audience are supposed to be like oh this poor man except that if he's as, he's if he's as dumb as you're making him out to be he shouldn't have had the company to begin with uh, you know at a minimum he's in the way like that's the thing the thing that doesn't work about this story is the narrative says cheer for these people boo these people except that there's nothing in the narrative that's that makes you want to do any of those things like i as much as i somewhat sympathize so later just to kind of get through this later on um through various machinations um uh, adam driver is able to take full control over gucci uh aldo al pacino goes to prison for tax evasion and eventually he him and rodolfo are bought out so now adam driver has a has controlling interest in Gucci and his family is X'd out. Uh, but at the same time, he sort of had it with his wife. He's had it with Lady Gaga and they end up going to Switzerland and he starts having an affair with this other woman uh, and sends her back, uh, unable to reconcile and now on the verge of divorce. She seeks to have him killed. He is killed. This is like the most obvious thing ever. So of course she gets arrested and goes to prison. That's the whole story. And I, and again, yeah, I was thinking about like Casino, um, maybe and maybe just because both of these movies were released around Thanksgiving uh, in our big epic pictures and all of that with fancy clothes and whatnot, but very stylish. 
So like that's like in my mind, that's that's the connection to Casino. But also in Casino, while everybody in there, like Sharon Stone's character and and um, Robert De Niro and Joe Pesci, are not great people. You at least somewhat sympathize with Robert De Niro's character. I don't sympathize with anybody in this movie. And you're kind of supposed to. You're supposed to. Like, what are we doing here if you're not supposed to sympathize with anybody in this cast? Except that the way it's written, you're at least supposed to sympathize. Like, you're supposed to be cheering Lady Gaga as she orders the murder of her husband. And I'm like, no, it doesn't work that way. As Robert Winfrey is so fond of saying, murder is bad. <laughs> None of these characters are likable. You can yeah. have a movie with unlikable characters if you make them relatable still. Yeah. But there's nothing about these characters that are relatable. We're supposed to, you know, Patricia is in love and she's, you know, uh, she's but, not. She was never I don't I never got that she was in love with Adam I Driver. Got, yeah. I got I got that she was a gold digger. I go back to what I said about about um Jeremy Irons. Like he saw her coming a mile away and his dopey son's the one that didn't. So it's like I don't feel bad for him that 20 years later he figured it out. And I don't feel bad for her that she's exactly who she was at the beginning of the movie. Exactly. The whole time I'm watching Mauricio, again, that montage of them going on their few dates is so awkward. I was honestly expecting her to say, I'm pregnant. We need to get married or something right. like that. Because I could not fathom how he has fallen in love with this woman so much that he is willing to give up his family name and fortune to be with her. When he shows up at the family doorstep mm -hmm. saying, I want to marry her, but I have nothing and I need a job. I'm like, where did this come from? I wish the other thing about this is um, again, grand television show, not a movie, but, but stay with me. When I was watching um, the assassination of Gianni Versace, you got a lot of, how the company Versace works, mm -hmm. you know, you, you got some sense that they were a fashion house and, you know, you got some sense of how he thought about things and what he was inspired by over the course of what happens in the show leading up to his, uh, his uh, being shot to death. Kind of helps. I, it's a, it's a world building. Yeah. There's no, almost none of that here. You get, I, I, <laughs> I, un, I, I know what Gucci is, but I said something to my wife, and she's like, yeah, no, that's not what Gucci's known for. Gucci's known for this other thing. And I'm like, well, it would have been nice for the sh film to show me that. Because now I'm just going by what I see here. And, you know, and I'm seeing runway fashion shows, and I'm seeing shoes, and I'm seeing uh, purses and whatnot. And it's like, okay. And, and, and I, it, yeah, thinking back about it, yeah, there is a little bit about the cows and the leather and everything. But I, I still feel like. Some films will really take a beat or two and really dig into what makes the famous company famous. What is it really all about? I would have liked some maybe lingering shots of how the leather is prepared and, you know, how we go from cow to, to, to shoes and purses, that sort of thing. There's none of that in this movie. Exactly. It's pointed, it's pointed out from about 100 miles away. You know, like I said, they're, they're all, they, one of the scenes is on a cow farm. But I... It wasn't enough for me. It wasn't enough to really give me a sense of what this company is. It just if you didn't know what Gucci was, you still kind of don't. Gucci is basically portrayed as just it is an empire. It's a yeah. kingdom. We are not given any context for how this kingdom works right. at all. Perfect. Um, yeah, we, we've talked about and Adam Driver seems disinterested. And, you know, he, he clearly like I was think I haven't seen all of uh, a marriage story yet, but apparently him and Scar Charlotte Johansson you know, are like way dramatic in that and oh, yeah. very powerful. Mm -hmm. So Adam Driver is certainly capable of giving a, an emotional performance. And here, yeah, in the beginning, he's just sort of awkward and nerdy. By the end of it, he seems like a robot. He has more chemistry with Daisy Ridley's with that kiss in Rise of Skywalker <laughs> than he does in any part of this movie. I think the only time I was even interested is again during the sex scene because you could see that he has some killer abs. <laughs> well, we, it's like, we well, figured, at least we figured that out in what was it, uh, uh, the Last Jedi? Yeah, I was like, well, at least I got like five seconds of something to stare at. Yep, you got a little <laughs> bit of the. Um, He's anyway. in good shape. He is incredibly good shape. I mean, look, if you're not um, my, like my wife is not a film person. So like her and my kids are, are kind of good places for me to look to. Like, well, how does the norms think about this? And my wife and I both like sometimes we'll watch something and I'll have a completely different take than she does. And, and we'll end up getting into a debate about it. Um, and all three of these, we both walked away having the same feeling. Our feeling at the end of House of Gucci was that seemed like two hours of just stuff happening. 
Like they didn't seem, you know, we, we got to get to this. We got to get to this. We got to get to this. And then he's dead. Like, mm-hmm. eh. so, you know, take away Lady Gaga's performance, take away La- Jared Leto's performance art. Um, you, you got, you don't have a whole lot left here. House of Gucci is one of these are, if you don't see it in theaters, you can wait for it for, to be on some sort of streaming apparatus. It's fine. It, it, this is not a rush out and go see it deal. Um, all right. We're going to move on to Spencer. We must. Well, before we do, I'll tell you, we, we, we talked before the show started tonight about how Spencer is, uh, weirdly a, like a psychological drama. But even psychological drama sometimes could use some better writing. And you know what would help with some better writing? Oh, please do tell. Allow Thanks. me to give a much more subtle performance than any of these actors did. I, I'm actually going to need more for you. I need bombastic. Uh, oh, my God. Tell me, tell me, tell me. There oh it God. is. We're trying to sell shit here. For you, for you listeners of Triple Feature on Rattle and Broadcasting Network brought to you by W2M, Grammarly is offering a free download of the Grammarly software. Grammarly's AI-powered products help people communicate more effectively. Grammarly helps you write mistakes free on Gmail, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and nearly anywhere else you write on the web. Grammarly corrects hundreds of grammar, punctuation, spelling mistakes, while also catching contextual errors, improving your vocabulary, and suggesting style improvements. To download Grammarly today, go to getgrammarly.com slash W2M network. Again, that's getgrammarly.com slash W2M network to download Grammarly for free. Our next film, as we said, is Spencer, which uh, had its Venice premiere on September 3rd. And then it was released November 5th. Hey, at the same time as Eternals. Um, it had a budget of $18 million. It's currently made 14 and is already available through PVOD. Um, it has been nominated for a Golden Globe and Critics' Choice Movie Awards for Best Actress. Um, it stars Kristen Stewart of Twilight fame and Charlie's Angels. <laughs> um, it is a historical fiction psychological drama directed by Pablo Lorraine and written by Stephen Knight. The film is inspired by Princess Diana's decision to end her marriage to Prince Charles and leave the British royal family. Uh, Timothy Spall, Sean Harris, and Sally Hawkins also star. This is a bizarre movie. Putting it (sighs) mildly, Um, this is one of the most misdirected, (laughs) just everything about this movie screams, what? It comes... I often joke about movies as like, wow, it's like, did somebody just accidentally get the college students, you know, interpretive film to their intro to design, intro to film class and accidentally got it into Hollywood? This comes across like that with a much so, higher budget. This is like, like a, however long they spent at the house over that particular Christmas. I know The Crown deals with this as well. Um, basically, so over the course of like a couple of days, you get – she um, – she is contemplating leaving Prince Charles, as the synopsis says. And the movie's perspective is that Diana has mental health problems. Okay. So according to my wife, that's not inaccurate. She had an eating disorder. An eating disorder is, you know, part and parcel, a part of uh, general anxiety. Um, but the movie makes it seem like her issues ran much deeper than a, a generalized anxiety Uh, manifesting itself as an eating disorder the movie makes it seem like she is descending into having some sort of psychotic break and like that's almost the impetus for her wanting out of this marriage is is that the pressure of being the princess of wales and being married to this guy who now we i'm gonna say something but this isn't really covered in the film i know this because i've been watching the crown and it was widely reported it's it's coming across like him, uh, Prince Charles cheating on her, the pressures of being in the royal family, all of those things have driven her to the brink of insanity. And she's like, I will be an utter disappointment and bring scandal upon myself and everyone around me if I leave, except that if I don't leave, I'm going to go insane. That's essentially what the movie is dealing with. But it's doing so in this almost avant-garde, like, really artsy way. And I was talking to Alexis before the show started. There's a scene in here where Kristen Stewart is running from the house and <laughs> she's running through multiple costume changes. <laughs> she's like, so she's just running, running, running. Cause she's in a dress and then they cuts and she's running, 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 but she's in a different outfit and she's running again. And she's in another outfit. And I'm like, what is happening here? What is going on? Kristen Stewart's performance, I think is okay. Um, I can see why she's being nominated for different awards. I think, 
because I think Kristen Stewart is known for being a little on the flat, a little on the dour side here. I think she's playing somebody who's descending into madness pretty well. It's just a lot of it is with her head kind of cocked and her mouth like like this and and she's mumble pegging the whole time. And so like I had to keep putting the volume up because I couldn't understand a word this woman was saying. It was a little hard to follow. Subtitles. <laughs> I guess. It's not worth not worth watching again with them on. I got the gist of it, but it was incredibly hard to understand her. It was. I have never been a fan of Kristen Stewart's acting. I still love the uh, Rift Tracks commentary on Twilight that every time she there's a pause, they go and it, it focuses on her character. The, the guys just go, line, <laughs> line. And she does give a really great performance in this. She really does. But again, this whole movie, I think what they were trying to do, and I could be wrong, mm-hmm. But I feel like what they were trying to do was essentially take everything was supposed to literally be through her perspective. Mm-hmm. We were supposed to feel her uncomfortableness as she continues to go insane, basically. Mm-hmm. And it's very unpleasant. Sure. You know, we have multiple scenes where she comes across the royal family and they are either glaring at her Mm. or they are giving her this smug you're suffering and i like that you're suffering look queen elizabeth constantly looks at her just like she's so thrilled that this woman's about to leave the family it's right really uh, it's really weird we get maybe like one or two lines with some of the other characters besides the two sons um william and harry are both uh feature prominently in this and, and the kid actors are good you know mm-hmm. i will give credit where that's due but so much of the, it's just really really uncomfortable you don't get a sense see here's the thing you you get that she wants to leave and you get that she's not well liked by this family you don't get any sense in this in this picture itself because again it, it's a little hard for me because I, I i did just watch the crown not that long ago and they did the entire season was focused on the, the rise and <laughs> the rise and fall of Diana. And in the show, obviously, did a much better job of explaining, you know, what went wrong in that relationship, what Charles's motivations are, you know, what, you know, he wants to be with this other woman who's married and all of that that's been that he ended up marrying at some point. All of this is well documented. And it's all there in the crown, for better or for worse. Here, it's someone like it, it's it's like almost someone took the last act of a movie. And said, that's just going to be the movie. So you get no introduction and you get no middle part that explains anything. You just get the third part where she's nuts now. And she's like, well, I can either go over the over the falls in, in a barrel or I can get out of here. And, she, and at the end, she leaves. And you're like, okay, that's not enough for a movie, though. <laughs> not without some flashbacks or something to explain how she got to be in this point. Because it just... The way it's done, it just comes across as she's just nuts. Like she just hatched out of an egg, like Mork from Orc, and she and, and just arrived nuts. There's also this constant running thing that she's comparing herself to Anne Boleyn. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I guess they're left to imply that uh, Timothy Spall's character, uh, Equerry Major, I'm guessing it's mm-hmm. kind of like a head of household sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um. I guess found this book on Anne Boleyn and purposely left it where she would find it. Mm-hmm. And she is drawing comparisons to herself as this, uh, you know, as, again, that's like the, the failed princess. And we get multiple scenes of either Anne Boleyn looking at her or like she's turned into Anne Boleyn. Mm-hmm. And I did not get what, get that at all. It's like, no, Honey, no, you're not Anne Boleyn. Anne Boleyn was accused of witchcraft because she couldn't deliver a son like she was supposed to. And everyone blamed her for everything. And maybe I'm not remembering the um, Charles, Diana, Camilla controversy enough. I was Mm -hmm. very young at the time. But a lot of this comes across like she feels that she's being blamed Mm-hmm. for charles having an affair you know i she mentioned something that's like you know everyone Anne Bole- everyone 
you know the rumors were that Anne was having an affair and it's like yes uh prince or king henry did start that rumor as a way to further villainize his wife so it would be easier to get rid of her but i don't remember any part of the news saying that they thought diana was the one cheating on charles oh that comes up in the crown too she's having an affair with like a pilot of some description if i remember correctly and I'm, i might have the details of that wrong but she it, i remember from the crown she's having an affair he's having an affair um, from what I remember, also, he never wanted to marry Diana necessarily in the first place. He wanted to be with this other woman, and there were reasons why they couldn't, and there was, act, you know, they were actively working against splitting them apart. And so he comes across Diana as, like, runner-up, essentially. And Diana is presented as the perfect wife for him um, because he needs to be married and get on with his life. Uh, but he never... But part of the stress of their relationship is he never quite ends things with Camilla. Um, and there's a lot of like them kind of playing in the shadows and him getting sort of frustrated with it and be like, well, why can't we be together? And she and Camilla's like, because we can't, you dope. You know, <laughs> there's just that's a big, big theme of the crown is you have to do these things because you're part of royalty. That's just your lot in life. And so this is a blessing and a curse. That's that's a big theme. Getting back to Spencer. Yeah, none of that's in this movie. I want to read something to you because this cracked me up, actually. I, I want to talk about the critical, uh, what's written in the wiki for the for the uh, critical reception because some of this is like, oof. But uh, the last paragraph of the plot synopsis. On Boxing Day, Diana awakens in her room to find that Maggie has called her back from London. The two walk to a nearby beach where Diana talks about her mental and marital problems. Maggie responds by confessing that she is in love with Diana. Okay, I had no, I don't know if that's real or not. Uh, according to IMDb, is she is Maggie is based on a real person, but mm -hmm. they uh, requested to be remain to remain anonymous. For the record, I don't think it's unheard of that a no, that a member of the staff would fall in love with Princess Diana sure. or something. It's like so. It's like, although I'm I'm just gonna say it, Kristen Stewart is queer. Uh, she okay. that's what she identifies as she has been a uh, actually a leading figure in lgbtq movements in hollywood like good okay. for her on that and when I, they got to that part i was like and here comes the part where kristen stewart says she says i want her to lean in and kiss maggie or something it's like and thank god they didn't <laughs> do that after i think that would have just derailed what was left of yeah. this movie after leaving the beach, Diana rushes to the pheasant shoot and walks out in front of the crowd of hunters, mimicking movements of the bird. She tells Charles that she is leaving the royal entourage and taking William and Harry to London, an arrangement to which Charles hesitantly agrees. Diana bids farewell to Maggie and McGrady. Major Gregory returns the Bolin book to the library. As they drive away, Diana and her children sing the song, All I Need is a Miracle by Mike and the Mechanics. In the distance, a scarecrow. This is, this is what I was getting up to. In the distance, a scarecrow that Diana had created when she, when younger, is seen, now adorned with clothes from her early adulthood. Diana drives to London, where she begins the process of raising her children independently. She looks over the River Thames, uncertain of her future, but no longer burdened by the memory or royal responsibility. Yeah, this is this is a film student's wet dream. Like this is one of those where it's like, oh, there's so much symbolism and all of that. It's like, yeah. Oh. <laughs> this um, movie is nothing but symbolism and metaphors, and it is. So get this. So annoying. Um, the uh, at the uh, the film received a three minute standing ovation at its world premiere, with critics lauding Stewart's performance as Diana. <laughs> <laughs> David Rooney of the Hollywood Reporter stated the film rests on Stewart's shoulders, and she commits to the film's slightly bonkers successes, as much to its moments of delicate illumination. Yeah, that's that's what I mean. Like she's fine in this, you know if. If you're looking for sort of a meaty, gritty performance from, from, from somebody who really just gets lost in uh, in the direction, you would do worse to find to find something than Spencer. Here's the problem. The movie's not interesting to me. It wasn't. And my wife, who loves this stuff and like, oh, God, what's the, the Meghan Markle is the one that got married mm -hmm. last. Yeah, she actually like went. Elizabeth brought this up at the um, when we were talking about Diana, the musical. My wife got up early and had like tea and crumpets at my mother-in-law's house or whatever with her friend Elizabeth. They all had to watch the wedding. Um, <laughs> so they are they are really into this stuff. She's the, the, my wife's the reason I even started watching The Crown, and she couldn't get through this. She was like, when, when it was over, she's like, I just want to go to bed. <laughs> this this movie sucks. Um, so 
I think as a film person, there's a lot, there's a lot going on here because film isn't always something that necessarily needs to entertain you on like a surface level. You know, film can be studied, film can be, film can be thought provoking, it can be a conversation piece. And I think on that level, Spencer is largely successful. What I call this entertaining or something that I would tell other people to watch, not on no. your own. <laughs> this is something that you, this is something I would maybe bring up in a film class. And that's about it. Yeah. And again, it's uncomfortable. It's depressing. It's, it doesn't, I have no idea exactly what they were going for with this movie. They again, were the going music. For, she's descending into madness because the evil royal family was, was bothering her. It would have been nice if the movie did a better job of explaining that. You know, yeah, that's exactly. Interpre- that's my interpretation. Yeah, the only way that I got any idea of what the kind of stuff she was going through is literally because of the interviews with Harry and Meghan Markle, where mm-hmm. they've talked about all the crap that Meghan had to go through when she got became part of the royal family. And she has been very open about how rough it was and how she has to conform to everything. Right. The only time we get that is this weird thing where, and I looked it up, this is apparently a real thing, um everyone has to be weighed mm-hmm. when they come in apparently this was a tradition that was started ages ago by a king who wanted to make sure that all the guests were well fed so you have this scene yeah where uh we see one of the other princesses is being weighed mm-hmm. and she comes in and i can tell that that's obviously gonna bug her because we also know she has an eating disorder yeah. and she's like i was told i could skip this and to Actually, I'm just going to say, Timothy Spall was the actor that impressed me. I've seen him in a bunch of other stuff, and he usually plays very over-the-top. I mean, this guy played Peter Pettigrew in the Harry Potter series. I knew he looked familiar. He's the rat guy, right? He's the rat guy. Yeah. I've seen, he was in Vanilla Sky. I've seen him in tons of movies. He usually is very over-the-top. And mm-hmm. the way he is, just so dignified. He's constantly got the... Like he's sucking the world's most sour I, I, lemon head. I was going to say, he kind of does one of these deals, like... You know, like he's got kind of like an overbite going on. But yeah, he also does kind of a squinch face thing. Like, yeah, one of those. Yeah, and that actually blew me away how he was able to stay like that throughout this Mm -hmm. whole movie. And he actually does give a really good speech to uh, Diana when she's having one of her breakdowns. He talked about he is former uh, British military. Mm -hmm. And he talks about how he was talking to somebody when they were fighting and uh, mid-conversation, his comrade was shot in the head. And he talks about how, A, he waited because he figured there was another bullet coming for him and it never happened. And B, he's like, and I never found out how the story ended. <laughs> Which I thought was very interesting. Again, very interesting story. But he discusses how he's like, but this is what we do for the crown. This is what we do for the kingdom. This is what right. we do for the queen and for the monarchy. So I just have to deal with it. And But Diana is still like, well, you volunteered in military service. I'm not asking anyone to die for me. Why do I have to suffer like this? Right. All right. Um, I mentioned the Mike and the Mechanics song. I don't know. You ever listen to much Mike and the Mechanics? The answer is no. <laughs> I'm going to take a wild guess. Uh, well, if you want to listen to more Mike and the Mechanics, if you're like, what else have they done besides All I Need is a Miracle? I don't know if you know this or not, Alexis, but we have a service here that will help you down uh, stream all kinds of free music, including Mike and the Mechanics. And do you know what it is? Oh, my God. Please do tell me. Tell me. I'm running out of ways to be so interested when you bring up our product placement, okay? I, I I'm not that good of an you, actress. I would prefer if you just screamed in, you know, unintelligibly. Just, hey, have you heard about this thing? Ah! And, <laughs> yeah, perfect. Um, <laughs> I'm, going, I'm going for drama, not coherence. Uh, <laughs> oh, so you're going with what the director said for Spencer. Correct. Yeah, good connection. Uh, so we are giving away a free 30-day trial of the Amazon Music Unlimited service. That's getamazonmusic.com slash W2M Network. Again, that's getamazonmusic.com slash W2M Network to free to stream a three stream a free 30 days of music. Uh, there's over 70 million songs uploaded to Amazon. If you like podcasts. There's podcasts there, too. We're there. You can listen to us. You can enable your home devices to play them for you. Um, it's a, you know, Elizabeth was telling me that she uses it all the time. It's a great service. You can do playlists, all kinds of stuff. 
Uh, if you like it, you keep it, you pay the monthly fee like you do with Spotify or Apple Music. If you don't, you cancel. No fuss, no must, no contract. It's easy. There's no reason not to give it a try. And who doesn't love free music? Again, let's get amazonmusic.com slash W2M network. All right. And our. And you know what else is really good that you can get on Amazon Music? What? The music of Tammy Faye Baker. Yes, absolutely. So this came out. Uh, the Eyes of Tammy Faye, which was based on a documentary, uh, The Eyes of Tammy Faye by Fenton Bailey and Randy Barbato. Uh, this came out in September 17th. It had its uh, Toronto International Film Festival debut September September 12th. And it has been uh, nominated or won. It's been, uh, okay. It's been nominated uh jessica chastain was nominated for best actress in a motion picture drama for a golden globe all three the lead actresses in the, all the movies we've covered yeah. will be facing off for the golden globe this year um it is nominated for a best feature film for the women's image network awards whatever the heck that is and it's won. jessica chastain won the detroit film critic society award for best actress she won the palm springs international film festival uh, award for Desert Palm Achievement Award for Best Actress and the San Sebastian International Film Festival for Silver Shell of Silver Shell for Best Leading Performance. Uh, it also won the Tribute Award in the Toronto Film Festival. And then, like I said, she won Best Actress for the Women's Image Network Awards. So, again, another highly lauded film. Another one where uh, the performances are great. And I was this for me. This is the this is very straightforward. There's not a lot of nuance or perspective in this film. It's more. It's 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 definitely a recitation of things that happened. Um, but I'm and I and I think people's opinion of the movie rests solely on that. If you're not really interested, first of all, if you don't know who Tammy and uh, Jim Baker were, they were televangelists. They were a big part of the big televangelist movement in the '80s. They were part of the. They were on the third leg of the stool. That got Reagan elected president. Um, they were a big part of that. Uh, big part of the rising conservative movement in America. And I think because of all of those reasons, this is not going to delve into a political com conversation. These are things that happened. Um, but because of their conservative nature, because of their conservative, um, being a part of the conservative movement, because of their responsibility in, in part getting Reagan elected, a lot of they're not well liked now on top of which jim baker was a thief uh and he went to jail for it um tammy faye baker who turns out is actually a, a decent person also went overboard with her look and image and that was wildly criticized and made fun of on like saturday night live and whatnot and so they are seen i think from about 50 to 100 miles away as villains of american political and popular culture what the movie does is humanize both of them. It doesn't necessarily absolve Jim Baker of anything. It does say, like, but okay, here's here's what he was doing. Here's where he was coming from. He got roundly punished. Okay, you'll feel about it how you feel. The one who it seems to absolve of any kind of ill will, and again, that may depend on who you are personally, is Tammy Faye. You know, Tammy Faye's association with the Christian conservative movement and Jim Baker and, and stealing through televangelism paints her as as a villain but as it turns out she's like a halfway decent person and that's one of the things that i think is the movie's strength tammy faye i actually have i know a little bit about tammy faye baker um i can't believe i'm admitting this but she was in i think it was like a celebrity big brother mm -hmm. uh show uh, about 10 years ago that i remember watching mm -hmm. uh the surreal life yeah with ron jeremy vanilla ice eric estrada and others okay and she was in it and she was actually uh really nice on it on her you know the show painted her as a very nice woman mm -hmm. um the the movie does an interesting because we were talking about how spencer is seen through the eyes of diana and we follow her the movie does the same thing with tammy faye now again the eyes of tammy faye is a reference to those gigantic eyelashes mm -hmm. because she had the biggest eyelashes in the history of mankind Hell, she even <laughs> joked right before she died they said someone who said, an interviewer said what would you like to be known for she said my eyelashes 
no, nah, no, nah, I'm kidding. But, <laughs> so she, she was able to take everything with a grain of salt and she right. knew how to take a joke. Yeah. But more so, it, the movie really paints it as she didn't totally know what was going on. She right. wasn't involved in the business aspect. She she didn't care about the business aspect. She wanted to reach people. She was very, very committed uh, to preaching the word of God. Uh, she was up until the day she died. Uh, she there. The movie also does get right. Her passion for working with the LGBTQ community, mm -hmm. which led to a huge fallout with Jerry Falwell, Fun fact, I uh, my husband and I watched this together, and he had no idea who Jerry Falwell was. I'm like, oh, boy, here's the can of worms we got to open now. <laughs> and, and up comes the curtain, and there's the red string and all of this other stuff. I think I put it best. I was like, there's an, it's like let me show you this clip from Family Guy. There's a bit where, well, it was a joke. It's like, they're going to be lonelier than Pat Robinson and Jerry Falwell after the rapture. And it cuts <laughs> to these two alone. It's like, why are we still here? We hated all the right stuff. <laughs> so... For the record, Vincent D'Onofrio does a really good job playing Falwell. He's uh, we're, he's he, when he's done with his mortal coil, he he's gonna be like, um, oh gosh, help if I'm gonna start off a comment like this. I actually remember these actors' names. The villain in Mission Impossible, like three or four, um, that everyone loves and died way too young. Keep going. Philip Seymour Hoffman. That's the one. Like, you know, like when he was gone, it was like, oh, my God, he left this legacy of just, you know, immensely talented, fantastic work. And that's going to be Vincent D'Onofrio. Like, you can look mm -hmm. back at all the things that he's done and, and what great characters he created, you know, from Full Metal Jacket all the way up to, you know, the silly Kingpin character and the Marvel stuff. And here he is like... Boy, if you want a solid actor, who you know, who's better than Vincent D'Onofrio? He is one of the best character actors working in Hollywood. For he sure. still holds the world record for most weight gained for a role for Full Metal Jacket. No one has surpassed that. Although I think Christian Bale is close. <laughs> <laughs> Christian Bale is not human. Christian Bale is made out of silly putty. Oh, uh, I think Robert Winfrey refers to him as an ectomorph. <laughs> <laughs> that works too. Um... So, yeah, this movie really paints it that uh, Tammy Faye was not a crook, uh, mm -hmm. She that her husband was. And even then, it paints a little bit more like Jim Baker wasn't purposely siphoning money. You get the idea that he just made some bad business decisions and he let things get taken out of control. Well, we get an early scene he's where. He's paying himself a largesse. Let's not under undersell here. Like, I'm oh, not yeah. here to slam these people. I'm really not. Mm -hmm. I don't I don't have a dog in this hunt. Um, I, but, I don't know enough about Jim Baker. I was not, a, you know, old enough when he went to jail. But like I, said, I mean, we get an early scene where their car gets repossessed mm -hmm. and he, Jim Baker's going, I, I made the payments. I mean, I think I made the payments. Did I make the payments? And you, you kind of get this idea that, you know, yeah, he's a crook, but you also get the idea maybe he's just not as good with money as he should have been. So it became right. easier for him to avoid worrying about that kind of thing. Again, I, I not an excuse. He went to jail. I think it's a combination of things. I think he paid himself a largesse more than he should have been. I think he was I, he was taking from the church. I mean, they they lived opulently. Oh yeah, that, that much is certain, and it is not just you know on salaries. But to your point, and and this is where I think your point is valid. He was also <laughs> one of these guys doing. Let's just create malls for Christians. Let's create stadiums for Christians. Let's create water parks for Christians. Let's let's live separate but equal from the rest of the riffraff. And that all costs money. And so he was using the church donations for that sort of thing, too. And if you don't have a good business manager, yeah, things things can go uh, sideways financially pretty quickly. And so a lot of the movies him trying to just keep a lid on things um, and trying to keep all of these different projects afloat. But, I, you know, but again, it's like if you if you go and you spend you know more than you're taking in for a long period of time even if you have a good reason to do it eventually if you're not making enough money to cover it you're you're going to fall, fall so far behind you're going to lose it all and that's what happens with jim baker at least in part i will also say that combining this with tick tick boom can we agree that this is one of the best years to be andrew garfield yeah you know well it's funny um and i don't want to get too much on a tangent here but right now what's the conversation everyone's having as we record this everyone's talking about spider-man they're not talking about Jamie. I can tell you that much right now. Everyone's talking about Spider-Man. And, you know, we had a whole conversation at the start of the week about who, who did it best. And I said, look, even if you don't love Andrew Gar Garfield's portrayal of Peter Parker and Spider-Man, even if you think Tom Holland or Tobey Maguire got closer to the comic book analog, 
nobody can convince me that Andrew Garfield isn't a stellar actor. Oh, and that yeah. his performances in those amazing Spider-Man movies, everything else aside, you can't, I'm not going to be allowed to be convinced that Andrew Garfield's acting in those movies is poor. There's, you can, you can say he's your least favorite of the Spider-Men and still admit he's really good in it. I mean, mm -hmm. there's only three Spider-Men and it's like, yeah, Andrew Garfield might be your least favorite of them. Fine. That doesn't mean he's a bad actor. You just prefer right. Tobey Maguire and Tom Holland. Yeah. And that's that, that's the conversation I keep having with people. I'm like, you don't think he's the most comic book accurate. That's fine. But he is like, but his performance in those movies is stellar. Absolutely. And, and after, you know, and again, after, as you said, after seeing him in Tick, Tick, Boom, after seeing him as Jim Baker, like, I don't I don't know what happened after Amazing Spider-Man, but I feel like I lost sight of Andrew Garfield, and now he's popping back up again. Like, oh, he's really good. Why doesn't he get more work? He did. There was one. I can't remember the name of the movie. Here, hang on. Let me see if I can pull it up here on Wikipedia. There was a um, military movie that he was in that was apparently just absolutely amazing. Let's see mm -hmm. here. Uh, do, 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 do. Hacksaw Ridge. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I vaguely remember that. Mm -hmm. So, all in all, um, like a brick in the wall, the Eyes of Tammy Faye, I think, is an interesting. Like, like I said, it's available now on PVOD, and it's on this. I saw, I saw it on this weird streaming device where the logo looked like it said Buffalo Wild Wings. I'm like, that can't possibly be right. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, let me just say it's PVOD and be done with this. But yeah, if you're at home and you're looking for a really fun. Uh, Jessica Chastain deserves every award she was nominated for, or, won, or that she's already won for. She probably she'll probably get nominated for Best Actress uh, for an Oscar and won't win it. But I movie's do definitely going to get nominated for Best Makeup. Yeah, for sure. Um, it I, I gotta say, of all three of these, this is the one my wife. Where by the end of it, my wife and I had a really good time. We saw it in the theater, had a really good time watching it. It's worth a watch at home. I think um, of all three of these, it's the most worth a watch at home. I think it does a really great job of absolving Tammy Faye of maybe the unfair criticism she's received. As you as you said, if you don't know what's happening, how how can you be blamed for it? And I, I will say this: it does make her come across as a bit naive. She's a bit dense, um, and how close to reality that is. I mean, I guess if you're surrounded in riches and you're living opulently, you know, you can be more easily convinced that things are just fine. You know, it's easy to turn a blind eye to things because you don't want to risk your whole kingdom falling apart. But I'm not going to hold that against the woman who wouldn't who, you know, who wouldn't be like that in the in that situation. But, you know, as you said, she's, you know, worked with the LGBTQ community. The whole thing with her being a televangelist was she really did legitimately want to help people. So I think it I think the eyes of Tammy Faye does a really good job of uh, of turning her into a uh, a. a an entity, a character, a person that you can uh, have sympathy for. Um, and, you know, it. Well, I'll tell you what it does do also. It makes Jim Baker look worse than whatever whatever anyone thought of him, whatever prejudices you have against conservative Christians, this doesn't help. Oh, boy, this makes it much worse. No. Yeah. Um, and I'm also just going to go ahead and say the opening scene showing Tammy Faye as a child where she suddenly starts speaking tongues in the church. I could not stop laughing. <laughs> I don't know if that actually happened or not, but mm. oh my God, it's just so over the top. Her and Andrew Garfield, Jessica Chastain and Andrew Garfield have wonderful chemistry together. Their oh, early yeah. like, apology or stuff, I thought it was great. They, like, it's the opposite of Lady Gaga and, and, and Andrew yeah. uh, Adam Driver. We get a, we get this really great scene of them just having a picnic on the quad mm -hmm. at their college, and they're what they're adorable. Yeah, and they're talking about their past and uh, Baker's Jim Baker's talking about how he wanted to be a DJ originally, mm -hmm. and what prompted him to start serving God. And then just okay, Jessica Chastain apparently did almost all of her singing mm -hmm. in this movie. She sounds phenomenal. She really does a good job with that. I did not know she could sing. I'm mm -hmm. not saying she needs to go do a musical. She doesn't. But <laughs> it was very impressive to hear her singing a lot of Tammy Faye songs. So, and again, the makeup is amazing. I want to know what they did because she, okay, Tammy Faye has always had very large cheeks. Mm -hmm. She's got more of a square shaped face than Jessica Chastain does. And there's like some kind of prosthetic on her just from the first time we see her, not just when she's old, 
but she has this facial prosthetic on to constantly make her face look more square than it is and it really works it's like this mm-hmm. is very impressive prosthetic work on the makeup yeah i can see that i could see this winning best makeup um best makeup effects for uh, for an oscar all right so that's it that's our triple feature on these three oscar contending uh biopics featuring prominent women say that three times fast um we are going to do a few more of these uh in some form or fashion after we get through this this drivel of of spider-man and the kingsman and matrix four <laughs> my life december is not supposed like i said december weather is not supposed to be this crazy and december movies are not supposed to be mm-hmm. this crazy over the course of january we are going to touch on different movies um wrap them you know, that are at least in contention for various prizes uh sean Comer and I, in theory, are going to be doing a triple feature on Titan, El Camino, and Christine. And Titan is the one that's uh, the possible Oscar contender of those. Good luck with that. <laughs> um, Sorry, I saw, I, I saw the plot line of that. And I'm like, so this woman has sex with a. Okay, I am not touching this. Yeah, I'm, I was 100% <laughs> in when I heard the plot. Um, uh, look, uh, then Ronnie Adams and I are doing Licorice Pizza, Cop Shop, and Encounter. Licorice Pizza currently under fire for some sort of joke that pissed somebody off. Um, I haven't seen it yet. Robert Winfrey and I are doing a damn you, a split damn you Hollywood uh, for Don't Look Up and the Ricardos, uh, both. Uh, have limited uh, theater runs and then will be on Netflix and Amazon respectively, both nominate, both looking to be Oscar nominees. Let's see if uh, Nicole Kenman can finally redeem herself and no longer be box office poison. <laughs> no, no, seriously. She's been referred to as box office poison so much so that when she did a brief role in an Adam Sandler movie, uh, she went uncredited. Oh, wow. And then finally, uh, Alexis and I are going to do, an all black and white triple feature because I'm fancy. Um, we're gonna do Belfast, Passing, and Come On, Come On. Which every time I hear, I think of the Rescue Me song. Uh, the rest. I, I think of the Smash Mouth song. Um. So yeah, Belfast, Passing, <laughs> and Come On, Come On, and that'll be in late February, right before the Oscars. Plus all of your favorites. We will be reviewing Nightmare Alley, Spider Man, No Way Home, uh, The Kingsman, Matrix, Resurrections, etc., etc., etc. Um, in the meantime, in between time, we have dumped a whole crapload of Spider-Man content this week. The aforementioned Long Road to Ruin on Who Wore It Best? Who's your, who's your favorite Spider-Man? A re-airing of our Amazing Spider-Man 2 review that kicked off Damn You Hollywood back in the day. Jesse's done a four-part Spider-Verse uh, source material that just ended today with him and Ben Cologne. Uh, myself and Alexis Hayner reviewed West Side Story. And then, because I don't stop and I don't quit... Myself and Pat Mullen did a late night recording of the mania of WrestleMania 11, 12, and 13, the rise and fall of the new generation and the birth of attitude. Al Sedano, taking a break from Warlock and Thanos, came on to discuss Stargirl with me. Yesterday was our Metal Hammer of Doom Christmas party. We uh, we did a very poppy Christmas, plus we looked at Eat, Fear of Dying, and Choke, those singles and EPs. Tonight, myself and... Ronnie Adams are going to do a long road to ruin for the first two Kingsman movies. And then finally, tomorrow, um, we've got a re-airing of the Screaming Boy show, Why Spider-Man is Awesome. We've got a long road to ruin for just the Sam Raimi trilogy that I edited. I edited, folks. I actually took time and edited an old podcast of mine. I fixed the sound. I cut out all the crap you couldn't hear very well. I cut out extraneous conversations about X-Men and Batman and just left and we still and it's still a two-hour discussion of the sam raimi trilogy which was once two and a half hours so yay me um and then the evening myself and robert winfrey are doing um the otter bf marcus brown fight and then saturday which is also all right for fights is myself and dan lasby doing jake paul versus tyrone woodley to electric boogaloo plus a re-airing of our review of the secret life of pets all right that's it that's all for me alexis what do you got going on well, we just finished our uh, final episode of Trypto Trivia for 2021. The theme was Everything Christmas. Had a lot of fun playing that one. It will be airing on Christmas Eve, but we're getting ready for our next one. That is going to be video game themed. Nintendo, Sega, PlayStation, Xbox, PC, Mac, doesn't matter. It's all video games. So if you want to play, because we will always be looking for contestants, hit us up on Facebook or Twitter. 
let us know if you think you can beat us at your love with your knowledge of all things gamer related and if you're, know- afraid, if you're afraid of jason uh playing and, and getting all the questions right and beating you okay he's been banned for six months so, <laughs> no, no jason teasley uh not confirmed yet, but it does look like we have two contestants who will be returning. Uh, Joe Schlotz and Carrie McConnell, who uh, played with us for uh, Sci-Fi Month back in May. They are both extremely crazy gamers. I, me- I messaged them, and it, I believe the phrase was, well, duh, I was, born and, I was born and raised by video games. They both want to come back and play. So we and may have a couple of our returning, not quite champions, but a couple of our returning contestants for this. We also might get the video games to the max guys on here. The patriarch of the W2M network, Sean Garmer, and his co-host for video games to the max, uh, Mark something or other. Humanity Plague on Twitter. <laughs> oh, that's great. Allow Mark me Morrison, pl- that's it. Yeah, I was like, allow me to plug, and I have absolutely no idea what the hell you're called. <laughs> so we got that, and... Uh, Go ahead and let you guys know that if you can't make it for video games, February, you might have a little bit more luck because the theme for February tying into the next big comic book release coming up after Spider-Man is Batman. So February's trip to trivia is going to be all things about the Dark Knight. And I know there's a lot of you that know everything about one of the most prolific, famous superheroes of all time. Again, hit us up Facebook, Twitter. Let us know if you want to play. And on a personal note, Honeysuckle Rose Creations, where fashion meets fandom at the intersection of geek and chic. Uh, we are finally getting ready to wrap up everything with the holidays. This uh, coming Friday is the deadline to mail out anything from USPS to guarantee a Christmas delivery. So if you're still holding off and haven't decided if you got if you want to get a gift for your geeky friends yet, deadline's coming up go ahead and hit us up on our etsy or handmade at amazon and remember every order that we get up until christmas eve we will be donating five dollars to saint jude's children's hospital all right folks thanks for joining us here on triple feature uh she's alexis hannah i'm mark radilage be well be safe and behave